Hi, and welcome to another episode of the ULI Toronto Electric Cities podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. Today is May 15th, 2020, and it's been about two months since the COVID-19 pandemic swept across our globe, significantly altering the way we live, work, play, and interact, while causing devastating impacts on the economy. One of the impacts of COVID-19 we're going to explore today is on the condo market in the Toronto region. Over the last 30 years, the condo market has enjoyed an almost unstoppable pace of growth, dramatically changing the look and feel of our cities and becoming one of the primary forms of new housing in the region. But with COVID-19 now upon us, suddenly everything seems upended, and the condo market is no exception. With me today to talk about the impacts on the condo market and how the industry is responding, I'm delighted to once again be joined by Mimi Ng, Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Menke's Developments. Mimi, it's really great to have you back. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me on again. I, this is um, my third go around on Electric Cities, and uh, I'm glad to be scoring this hat trick, <laughs> even if it did take a global pandemic to do so. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we're we're happy to have you back, whether it's apocalyptic times or normal times. You're always uh, there to provide some really excellent insight on on the condo market. Um, and, you know, the last time I interviewed you on this podcast was in early 2019, and you had described the 2018 condo market as having lost a bit of steam due to um, rising construction costs, the cancellation of several large condo projects, and an overall drop in buyer confidence. And you even educated me on the term JOFO, the joy of missing out suggesting that many prospective buyers didn't mind sitting out on the sidelines to watch how things play out. So that that seemed to be your general sentiment for 2018. How did the condo market perform in 2019 and early 2020 leading up to the COVID shutdown? So 2019, actually, the market did recover and perform quite well. The biggest shift we saw was... um, as I mentioned before in our previous talk, uh, there was a market response or pushback against the pricing that we were seeing. And so in 2019, you saw a lot of builders bring out projects that were um, not so much in the core downtown area, but in the uh, inner suburbs, inner 416 suburbs or the 905. And the market responded to that, like more affordable uh, price points actually brought buyers out. and the strong momentum really uh, continued all through 2019 into 2020. And if you were looking at the market at the beginning of this year, you would have quite honestly said that it was on fire. We were seeing strong sales activity. We actually saw a return of um, some really great sites in the core and still 905 activity. Uh, So we were seeing upward price momentum, a lot of positivity, enthusiasm. Anyone judging us by the first 10 weeks of 2020 would have thought that we were shaping up for a record year. Record in terms of what? In terms of number of sales or a price escalation? Sales and pricing. Uh, Just to kind of illustrate this with the numbers, uh, for 
pre-con or new condo sales, uh, there were 5,600 uh, sales in Q1 across the GTA, according to Urban Nation. And that's, that's a big number. That's like, that's 85% higher than the, than the first three months of 2019 and actually 16% above the 10 year average for first quarter sales in the GTA. And on top of that, um, the average price of per square foot for a new condo, of the GTA was 1085 a foot, which is up 11% year over year. So the market was really on a roll. And, um, and even in the resale market, we were, it was a very similar story. Strong demand, limited supply. Uh, we were seeing, uh, based on Toronto uh, TREB real estate numbers, uh, MLS stats, we were seeing condo tra transactions in Q1 go up by 12% and average pricing up by 16% year over year. That's that's really quite phenomenal. And and um, well, actually, what about just quickly uh, the rental market? Do you want to speak to how it was doing or it was performing prior to COVID? Sure. Uh, you know, we always we have a joke in our office uh, that an easy conversation starter at the beginning of any meeting is to talk to everyone about how long it took them to get to this meeting, like what what, what the traffic was like. Traffic is always a good topic in our city. Um, but actually, another good icebreaker at a cocktail party is to ask someone if they're a renter and what sort of odyssey they had to go through to get a decently priced rental apartment in, in Toronto. Um, you know, like we've always had a very tight rental market. Everybody talks about that. And it's been a known phenomenon for, you know, the past you know, decade and a half, two, two decades. Um, so CMHC was reporting vacancy rates in Toronto for purpose-built rental at 1.5% last year, and condo vacancy rates, rental condominium vacancy rates were actually even lower at 0.8%. And they were expecting rents to go up, um, especially because um, last year there was a loosening of rent control laws, which allowed new buildings uh, built after November 15, 2018 to, uh, to not be subject to rent control. So there was actually an expectation that rents were gonna continue to go up and maybe escalate even faster. So the market was very tight on that side too. So everything was on fire. And then about two months ago, mid-March, everything just sort of hit like a, a, a sonic boom, really, uh, the way everything just shut down. Um, we're now two months into the shutdown. What, what has life been like for you and the rest of your condo team at Menkees? You know, like you said, it really just happened overnight. And I have to say, even at the beginning of March, when they were growing concerns about COVID, we did start to see a drop in actual foot traffic to our sales offices, but we strangely at the same time saw a, a higher conversion rate. So if anyone was coming out to a sales office, uh, you know, if somebody went to a sales office on the weekend of March 14th, March 15th, there was a high chance that they went home that night carrying uh, a purchase agreement. Hmm. So the buyers that came through in that period were still quite serious. Um, and then, you know, with the lockdown measures that were enacted in, in mid-March, everything just did turn immediately. And uh, we saw a really abrupt change in like a sharp decline in sales activity. You know, everyone just mentally kind of um, like, not just us as an industry, but everyone, everyone in the world or in our city 
struggling to kind of comprehend what was really happening, like just get their minds around how this happened. Like as, yesterday, everything was fine. Now today, we're all glued to our glued glued to the news, trying watching you know news reports and media reports about okay, so what does this mean? This is shutting down. What does this mean? Well, that's that's not possible. Okay, so I'm working from home now, uh, or my hours are being reduced. Like what's going on? So there there was a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty that suddenly hit the market. And it's such an unprecedented situation where, you know, your economy is being shut down, not because of, uh, you know, typical situations, but it's a government enacted shutdown, a voluntary shutdown saying, no, 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 no business right now. We need to do this for public, public safe and healthy health, health reasons. Um, so you had a bit of a double whammy where it's, um, some buyers were immediately taken out of the market due to financial uncertainty, whether it's losing a job, reduction of work hours, uh, their stock portfolio or equity portfolio suffering. And then there are other buyers who they might still have the financial means of purchasing, but they're physically unable to go to sales offices because we're closed down for business. So with the sales office, so you, I guess in that first week or maybe the first couple of weeks, it was trying to just make sense of, what was happening and and everyone I think is in the, was in the same boat um obviously sales activity dropped but were you able to in any way regain some kind of sales activity in a, in a, in the sort of virtual world uh yes no we were we actually were and i and i think it's i would say maybe the first uh first couple of weeks there was just so many things changing like we we first went to uh, appointment only uh, at the sales offices, and then we, within about a week, a week into it, we completely shut them down. Um, but we did uh, start to express. We didn't make it known that we were available virtually, uh, but we also, like, we also struggled with it just in terms of like the conversations we had as a marketing team and just talking about social media messaging. What sort of tone are we putting out there? Are people really? thinking about real estate, is it appropriate for us to be promoting? And if you look at our social media feed, like we intentionally actually stopped promoting product and we simply moved to a brand message and a solidarity message and, you know, and, and didn't actually, uh, from a sales perspective, push a, a selling message. Um, and it was interesting because I think in the first two, three weeks, uh, definitely was very, very quiet on the sales front. And I think it's just because everybody was trying to wrap their minds around what was happening and, and comprehend, uh, trying to figure out, okay, how does this impact me? There's another announcement. What does this mean? And, but then after that, uh, I would have to say with every passing week, as we get deeper into, uh, this lockdown, like people have settled down, people's minds have, I think their, the, their mindsets have changed in terms of kind of not, I'm not going to say they are accepting a new normal, but they're certainly more settled down and understanding, have sorted out in their minds, okay, this is what's happening and this is how I'm affected. And so some of the, there's still a lot of uncertainty, but I think the blind fear and the knee-jerk reactions have died down. And so I have to say, like every every week that we've gotten deeper into this lockdown, we have seen more and more inquiries, more website inquiries, more uh, 
uh, it's clear to me that more people are starting to look at like doing doing research on purchasing a home or purchasing an investment property. Um, and we have written deals in this period. It's, uh, you know, it's certainly limited activity. Uh, and then when we, like I looking was looking at the numbers before our talk and I would say that um, we don't have April numbers yet for the for the new construction market uh, in terms of what what the actual sales ended up being, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a 50 to 70 percent drop in actual new condo sales in the GTA for the month of April. Um, I know on the resale market side, you know, we've definitely seen a, a, over a 70 percent drop in the resale transactions for condos. Uh, but the, I think the important thing to take away from it is that the market's not completely dead. There is activity. It's limited, but there is life. And these deals are taking longer to come to fruition because we are working with social distancing measures. So we're doing Zoom appointments. You know, we were take, it takes longer to get the paperwork to someone or, uh, you know, even for checks or wire transfers to come through. So the process is taking longer, but Transactions are happening. So if the buyer pool has uh, slimmed down significantly, but there's still some life, as you put it, um, has that impacted your price points? Have you have you stuck with the the posted um, prices for your condo units, or have you adjusted in any way? We haven't made any adjustments, and it has been interesting to see the market sentiment because... Um, early on when um, the lockdown began, uh, you know, I started getting a lot of uh, people saying to me, agents and, uh, you know, buyer inquiries, like the few that, we, not a lot that we had, but we had some. And people saying, you know, everybody's talking that prices are going to go down. And, and there, there's this number that kept on getting floated around of up to 20% drop in condo pricing. And I just couldn't. I couldn't, I, I would try and say to people that doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> and try and educate them about it. But I think part of it was, you know, we've suddenly, our economy suddenly moved into a, moved into a recession and there is a lot of messaging out there about uh, banks deferring mortgage payments, credit card, your credit card company reaching out to you and offering you a discounted rate. Like that never happens. Like, so there's a lot of talk about relief uh, relief um, measures or emergency fund availability. And that definitely, I think, got into people's minds and made them think, okay, well, you know, I, I think it made some buyers who do have the financial capacity to do something, they really start to feel like they were in the driver's seat. So definitely the market did see um, some bargain hunting activity, like buyers uh, contacting developers and trying to negotiate or and say, oh, well, can you sweeten the pot? So there has been a little bit of that bargain hunting mentality. But uh, like for us, like we're, we're not budging on pricing. And I, I don't really see a lot of builders actually doing that because quite factually, I don't think our costs are going down. They're going up. Uh, when we, when you, when you think about what's happening in terms of the construction cycle and, um, well, let, let's talk about construction sites. I'm, I'm really curious to know how that has impacted um, the construction activity at some of your um, some of your sites in Toronto. There has been some postings in, on social media of, of Sugar um, Sugar Wharf uh, down uh, right. near the, the Lakeshore. 
uh, of, of a slowdown. I, I'm really curious to find out how has that impacted construction, particularly the delay uh, for your your completion dates? So we had um, so we had some sites that we were about to start construction on that we had to put in hold due to the province's shutdown order. Um, but we did have three active condo sites downtown, including Sugar Wharf, that were deemed essential and allowed to remain operational. And I really have to give our construction team and the larger construction industry in general, like build, ResCon, labor unions, the trades, I had to give them a lot of credit because there was a lot of dialogue and coordination that had to happen because they were asked to pivot very quickly and change their workflow and procedures to reflect social distancing. Like it's not very easy to change ingrained work habits overnight. Um, like, like I don't, I'm embarrassed to say how much of a mess I was, uh, you know, the first couple of days of working from home of me trying to get myself set up, which is my, you know, just with my little desk and computer and workstation. And that's just me <laughs> trying to work with my own situation. You're talking about hundreds of people being coordinated, uh, people on construction sites not being asked to not share tools, like uh, not to carpool, not to stand too close to each other during breaks. Uh, you know, and you've got questionnaires and temperature checks being administered every morning before entering the site. That's a lot of pressure on people. Like, it's not just the, it's, it's, it's changing everything so rapidly and, and, and the pressure that you realize you're doing it for everyone's health and safety. Um, but I think the challenging aspect here is that while social distancing measures are necessary and they have translated into improved worker safety, they don't necessarily equate to efficiency. So anecdotally, we're hearing the trades are dealing with uh, 20 to 50% loss in productivity on sites due to social distancing measures. Um, I'll give you an example. At some sites with the hoist elevator, um, they're only allowing the elevator operator and one worker uh, on the elevator at a time. And how many sure. normally do, are there in one of these elevators? Like a dozen. Really? Wow. Uh, yeah, because usually, you know, the, the elevator opens up and everybody gets on and people are bringing materials up. So, you know, I've, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be surprising to, that in some of these elevators, you could get 10 or 10 or 12 people. So, so now it's one, one, the operator and one worker allowed per trip. That means that there are just tons of people waiting around you know, whether it's at, at the ground level or on, on a floor, just waiting to get on the elevator. And that's just time spent that they could be spent working, but they're waiting. Um, so a partial solution to that problem is, you know, they've staggered start times for, for workers. And thankfully, um, in the city of Toronto and other municipalities, they've expanded the permitted hours of operations for construction sites. Uh, so I believe in some areas it's... Uh, now you can start as early as 6 a.m. and go until 10 p.m. And so that definitely helps with the long, the lengthened work workday and lengthened work cycle that we're dealing with on the sites. But you know, but the flip side of that is that you've got neighbors around all these construction sites, and so they're now potentially de dealing with construction noise for a longer window of time. And of course, everyone's home right now. <laughs> on top of all that. <laughs> So there's so many ripple effects to um, all these social distancing measures. And so from my perspective, I, I'm just thinking like, are we, are we, how long should we be anticipating uh, the loss of productivity 
and what's the impact on construction costs? And are we, you know, and are we expecting longer construction cycles? Like that, that's, I could tell you right now that any trade that's being asked to quote on a new job at this moment is talking about a premium for the so-called COVID effect. Let me ask you then about the planned future projects. I mean, Menke's always has projects on the go and future projects um, that are to be launched um, in a year or two. How has this impacted your future projects? You know, as a business, I think our, I guess our immediate focus is on our immediate commitments of, in terms of delivering what we've already sold and delivering it safely. So whether it's, it's homes or uh, houses or condos or office space or industrial space, you know, delivering on those commitments. For our longer term projects, um, you know, I think we, you know, we're, we're a family owned and operated business. Uh, and, you know, the Mancus, the Mancus family is now in the third generation at the company. Um, and they're committed to uh, Toronto and real estate. I think they take a very long term point of view. So as a city builder, like our commitment to like, you know, we're obviously we're heavily invested right now in the downtown waterfront. Uh, so we're real, we're real believers in downtown. Uh, we're like, I think we're, we're just, those commitments remain the same. I think it's now just thinking about, okay, timing of it all. So it's not a question of if we will launch something, it's a question of when, uh, and it's really us along with the rest of the industry trying to figure out when will the market be sufficiently recovered and receptive to new product? Uh, and, you know, and there are builders and, um, you know, in the next few months that are, you know, have been very open in stating that they are planning on launching projects. And so everybody's, uh, you know, interested to see how that's going to unfold. Um, I believe Daniels has something coming up in uh, Thornhill and maybe something else coming downtown in Regent Park that's supposed to launch, I think, by June or in, in the summer. So there is, there, de there definitely is activity and people meaning to move forward. But I do think most most builders are uh, trying to assess, okay, do we, what we planned for this year, do we still continue with it? Is it pushed from June to September or from September to January of 2021? Like those, those are the questions that we're all kind of um, grappling with at the moment. And it's ongoing. You mentioned ongoing. you mentioned um, that Minkies are, are real believers in the downtown. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the the future outlook for the condo market in general. You know, I there's there's quite a lot of media coverage stories in newspapers and, and online about. The, the, the question about city living and this this question about intensification versus um, suburbanization moving out to the hinterland. There was actually an article in the New York Times not too long ago uh, that cited that there's a number of, num uh, quite a number of um, Manhattanites and urban dwellers who are starting to think twice about living in Manhattan and starting to um, take up residence outside the city. Number of, of rentals, uh, demand for rentals outside the city is, is increasing. Because people just 
don't want to be in an elevator every day and deal with the social distancing, worrying about, you know, touching every um, item that, that other people might be touching. So lots of chatter in the media. Some, some urbanists are saying the cities is a place uh, that uh, everyone wants to be. This is a place for interaction and, and new ideas. Um, and it's also the pandemic that we're, we're dealing with um, is allowing us the opportunity to rethink how to use our uh, public space and, and maybe our open space. So there is this sort of dialogue going on between escape to the, the suburbs and maybe the hinterland versus staying, uh, staying put in the city. What do you think? What are your opinions about, about all that intensification versus leaving the city for less dense environments? I mean, it's definitely a really hot topic right now. Uh, you know, does COVID-19 spell the end of urban living? And I, I personally don't think it does. Like, first off, COVID-19 is not expected to go on forever. Like, there will be a vaccine. I mean, the timing of that vaccine, it's not clear. Is it 12 months away? Is it 18 months away? Uh, but in a larger sense, the circumstances we are dealing with right now are temporary. I also don't think there's going to be a mass movement away from city living and condo living because condos are relatively affordable. They offer a really convenient lifestyle. The low-key in the best neighborhoods in Toronto, like, People in the future are still going to want to live downtown where the action is, I, you know, especially younger people. Like if it's this pandemic has shown us anything, it's how much we crave human interaction and social engagement. Like people still want to go out for a meal at a restaurant. They still want to meet your friends at an arcade bar. You still want to take your mom shopping at square one or, or you know, take your kids and dump them off at square one. <laughs> so that you don't have to look at them for, for the afternoon. Like, like if anything, like us being in tight quarters, only looking at ourselves or our immediate loved ones has made people realize how much they crave human, human engagement, I really think. Um, and my last point, when people talk about, you know, oh, you know, don't you think everyone's gonna abandon condo living and go live in a house, house outside the city? I mean, that kind of implies that people have the financial means to make that choice. And I'm sure if you asked a lot of people, they would love to live in a 3,500 square foot house on a one acre plot of land out somewhere. But, you know, or they would love to live in a fully winterized cottage property on a lake. That'd be awesome with great internet service too. <laughs> but, but that's just not simply possible for the majority of us, you know, due to financial circumstances or our work, or work situation. It, so it kind of implies that people have the means to do so, which they don't. Well, the, that's, those are all really good points. And I, I think they, they support why um, demand for condos will, will still remain. But I'm wondering, just in the, in the world of social distancing and it, it is going to be some time before a vaccine is found and before people are completely at ease in um, uh, gathering in large groups, shaking each other's hands, um, doing what we were doing before this all struck. Um, right. Are you guys thinking of making any adjustments just in terms of building design uh, with some of your future projects? Because at least for the, the next year, possibly next two years, uh, this this whole notion of social distancing is is definitely front and center on everyone's minds, um, and it is a health and safety concern. So, 
what is Menke's doing to think about that in terms of its design? I mean, it's definitely a concern. As you said, it's, 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 it's right in people's faces and it's, it's, uh, you know, we're dealing with the impacts every day. So even now when we're, we're talking to um, potential buyers, they, they're asking a lot of questions that you can tell are, uh, you know, pandemic related. So they're asking about air circulation in common areas, air circulation in your suites. Where does the fresh air come from in my suite? Uh, you know, like um, what sort of uh, materials are you using in terms of durability or is it, are they, um, uh, you know, anti, anti-microbacterial or, you know, stuff like that. So they're asking questions. And, and I think as a builder that where you're looking at um, design of new projects, I mean, some of these, keep in mind, a project that we're working on designing right now is going to be delivered in four to five years. So you're kind of weighing out the options between what are things that are questions that are concerns that are going to be ongoing concerns that have been highlighted by, by the pandemic that we really should address, and possibly what are concerns that, you know, over the long term will probably go away. And maybe in a project that's five years down the line, you don't need to make an adjustment. Like, like with our amenity spaces, I think that's been something that's been on my mind a lot. Like, as a builder, we've been trying to create more open amenity spaces. Like, the, the classic approach to amenity, to amenity package was whether it was your, aside from your gym, which is generally open to everyone, but your party room and your lounges, the classic approach or the games room. Um, classically, though, traditionally those spaces were locked off and property management, you would have to book the space with them. Like property managers didn't want to open up those spaces because they were worried they would get trashed and, and whatnot. And, but then at the same time, you know, you spend all this um, effort marketing these spaces and there's certainly a, a big part of why people buy into the condominium lifestyle and then they don't get to use them. And, and that really seemed like a shame, especially because the spaces that we observed as being the most well used, aside from the gym, were open access spaces. Um, like, it's amazing. In a few of our projects, we've done uh, what we call quiet lounges or study rooms. And this came out of uh, games rooms that were being used by people playing poker or mahjong and being noisy. But then there always were other people there who were trying to read a book <laughs> and, or study. And so we realized that we need to create a separate room for them. And I'm always amazed at how many people will just, you know, fob into, like, so it's open to everybody. Everybody just fobs into this room. And it's just a, a quiet room where it's, it's like a library, essentially. And why is that, always, why is there a demand for that when they have their own unit to, to study in? Well, that, well, that's the funny part. It's that they... Like I'll see people studying or just reading a book, uh, maybe a couple of people doing a project really quietly together. And it's, it's simply that they want another option. They just want another space to go to. So maybe they're living with someone and they don't want to disturb that other person or their other, that other person's actually making too much noise. Um, so they just want another space to go to. But it's fascinating to me how many people use those type of spaces. So, so we kind of started to want to create more spaces that were hangout zones and that didn't require a were much more approachable and you didn't have to lock off and that property management wouldn't be so worried about needing to 
um, over-supervise. Um, and so we've, we've created more, like, so we still have some amenity spaces that are bookable, like a party room. But then we did start to create like open TV lounges or just open chill zones, basically. And, and people bring their laptop and they just sit there and they just with a, with a pot of water and they just work away or they're, or they're doing something. And it's, it's, that's been kind of the way we've been trying to go towards creating a, a stronger sense of community and just opportunities for people to interact with each other if they choose to and an option to go outside of your suite but stay within the community. And we've been doing things like um, more kids playrooms. Uh, we're, we're doing a project, we're designing a project right now called Festival, which is um, uh, a community in partnership with Quadrille uh, in the um, Vaughan Metropolitan Center. And um, it's a four tower community that will ultimately be about 2,500 units. And because it's such a large community, we're able to do quite a, quite a significant amenity program there. And so there's going to be a kid's room. There's also going to be a, on the outdoor terrace, we actually have enough room to do an, a mini outdoor dog run. So it's going to be like a mini outdoor park for dogs. And it's just, I think those are great gathering spaces for people where, uh, you know, oftentimes like how many, how many parents at another, at the, at the playground do you know because of your kids? Like, so it's opportunities for people to uh, interact with each other if they choose to, or find a bit of a common ground and you're creating these, just natural points of, of gathering. And so we're, we've been moving in this direction. And now with all this, um, this whole situation with COVID, do we move away from that? Like, are we going to, uh, should we be creating, going back to a model of lockdown spaces, smaller spaces, instead of one giant party room, do a couple of smaller party rooms that might be easier to lock down and then sanitize after someone's used them? Like, would people even, do people still even want to use these spaces? Like, it's, there's a lot of questions that, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out and assess. And, and it's tough. I mean, I think for a, a project that's five years away, you, you're not going to take your foot off the pedal in terms of designing, like, a, a full amenity package, which assumes, you know, op opportunities for community gatherings. But in the short term for a project that's about that's delivering and that's maybe under construction and two years away, I think I think you do have to look at certain things. You'll have to like reassess all your common areas and access points in terms of um, like contactless like door entries. Uh, you know, things like um, I was looking at one of our uh, some of the commercial office buildings that are talking about their reentry plans. Um, they were talking about how they're planning on sanitizing the elevator buttons every 15 to 30 minutes, um, which seems excessive, but understandably it's necessary. But at the same time, because they're sanitizing this much, they're actually going to put a protective film over the buttons because the buttons actually were probably not meant to be sanitized this much <laughs> in a day, every day. So now you have to think about durability of materials because I, I think long-term, the trend probably will, you will see um, uh, condo property managers and condo boards. They still will, even five years from now, there probably still will be very, much higher standards in terms of hygiene and sanitation in these buildings. So then you do have to think about, okay, I, I, I think we have to look at our materials again and, and what makes sense here. Um, 
sounds like with with these design i design items um that you haven't zeroed in on on a on a perfect solution that you're there's you're still sort of waiting and seeing you're, there's lots of question marks but you've raised some really interesting examples of of uh areas that need to be uh, addressed and thought about i have a couple more questions kind of to wrap things up one i guess on a more of a, a down note and ending up on a, on a high note um okay. on the down note what what are your biggest concerns for the industry going forward you know, I'm a, I was born in Toronto and I lived here all my life. I really believe in the city and its attractiveness as a place to live. So I don't actually have any doubt that we're going to recover as a city and as a market. It may take time, but I think we'll get there. My biggest long-term concern about the lasting impact of COVID is actually on land and product supply. Like I'm concerned about longer construction cycles, the planning and development process taking longer, like rezoning applications like are slowing down and understandably so but ultimately you know the a six-month delay now is going to result add up accumulate down the line into a two or three year delay for a project getting delivered and product like delivering keys to somebody and which means to me at some point we're going to see things come to a head and you might experience like a really sudden jump in pricing like we did in 2017 when the market is just um so hot there's so much demand but there's not enough product because we have been dealing with systemic supply issues for a number of years now and so so that so that's a bit of a concern that that's what the thing is i think okay well Five years from now, are we when every when the, everybody's back and the economy's doing great and everybody wants to live downtown? Are we going to be dealing with a lack of supply and you know and then you know prices are going to respond? Yeah, and I and I'm wondering just based on what you're saying in terms of the uh, extended period of time to get the approvals and and the impact that has on the um, the financial models that uh, the developers have. Do you think that? This could have dire consequences, hopefully not for you, but for some, maybe some of the other developers out there that may not be able to sustain themselves in the short and medium term. I think you, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some smaller players possibly get um, uh, impacted quite severely by, the, by this pandemic. Um, Urban Nation was quoting, uh, did a webinar I think last week, I'm not sure what week it was because, you know, it's pandemic times, but I'm pretty sure it was last week. <laughs> uh, they did a webinar and they, and they, and they broke down the, um, the new condo uh, supply in Toronto of, uh, pr by construction status and, then, and time of, as to when they were sold. And there are about 3,800 units that um, were sold over two years ago that actually have not started construction yet for whatever reason. But, and so they flag that as a potential of, you know what, they're, they're quite, quite, quite potentially there are gonna be some cancellations down the line because now with activity being paused due to COVID and lockdown measures, that just adds more time onto people's performance that they never factored in and can't afford to factor in. Okay, let's end up on a, on a good note then. We, you've, we've lived through two months of uh, the pandemic and the impacts. Uh, are there any silver linings that you've um, that you can glean from from all this experience? 
I think there's a, you know, it, it's, it's tough because we've all been dealing with a lot and, um, and obviously the, the full story hasn't been written yet. Uh, I think if we're going to take anything positive from this, I think that you're going to see probably more balanced market conditions uh, on the new condo side, in the resale market, in the condo rental market. Um, new condos were probably price trend wise will probably stay relatively flat. I don't, I don't believe unless we go into a very extended recession of two or three years that costs will actually, that, that prices will, you know, will actually see a major drop. I think it's just going to be fairly flat going forward. Um, I do think that, you know, this is forcing us to innovate and from a sales process um, we're now looking at two different workflows like there's a workflow for when we do open back up our sales offices and people come, there will be a, a there will be still a portion of the market that still wants to come in and see the model scale model in person and touch through gloved hands um <laughs> our you know our finished packages and our model kitchen or our model suite but there is there are going to be a lot of people who don't want to come in and who will want to just have a virtual appointment. So we're being forced to innovate. And even though we had, uh, I think as an industry, we were moving in that direction. I think this has kind of pushed us to really take that jump. Oh, that's interesting. And, yeah, and, and really real estate, it, it's, a, it's an interesting business because I think in many ways we still operate in a fairly old school manner. And maybe on the residential side, I think the commercial real estate industry has been more adapted at Adapting to technology, adapting to technology and new ways of working, but um, you know, selling a selling pre-construction condos or pre or pre-construction houses, the, the process hasn't essentially changed that much, and and you'd be surprised at um, how um, how much a sales office for a housing suburban housing development uh, in 2020 looked pretty much like the sales sales office from 1985. Uh, so. You know, we have been adapting to, you know, you know, interactive screens and a bit more tech. But I think now, out of necessity, we're having to really make a bit a big jump into, you know, Zoom calls and go to meetings and, you know, doing more video content. Doing using using a lot more. We're going to be probably using a lot more animated, like three um, D content. Uh, so, and, and, and actually more, the more tools that we actually create, uh, even we're creating for virtual sales, that's just more, uh, more content for the consumer to help reassure them about what they're purchasing and give them a, a more insight into the product. So that's not a bad thing. No, that's, that's a really interesting point. I mean, there's, there's um, quite a lot of attention drawn to the retail side of things and how a lot of retailers are having to quickly uh, accelerate their investments in um, in e-retailing, uh, uh, internet sales. Um, but it's interesting that you're mentioning that on the residential condo side and, and sales centers that they've been operating uh, pretty much the same uh, for the last 30 years, and this is really accelerating. That's a really interesting sidebar story. Um, this has been really interesting, Mimi. Uh, these are, you know, as everyone ha is saying, unprecedented times and is, is certainly having 
impacts across the board in our industry, on our lives, um, in every corner of the uh, of the planet. So, uh, really interesting to hear how you guys are coping, what you're thinking about to adapt, and um, where you see the market headed in the future. Um, I certainly wish you guys all the best in in um, managing your way through it. And hopefully you guys uh, come out relatively unscathed in the end. Uh, hopefully the end is coming soon, uh, i.e. getting a vaccine that uh, puts us back on our feet in normal conditions. Thanks again, Mimi. It's been really a real pleasure. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. I think um, I've seen a lot of emails recently where uh, they ended off saying better times ahead, better times will be coming soon. And and I really want to send that sentiment out to your whole audience. And a big part of what is going to allow us uh, to recover is confidence. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a big part of the, there's a big mental game here as well that we have to be cognizant of. So I think if we all stay positive and, and stay focused on the future, like we're all going to get through it together. And I'm, I'm actually looking right now at the latest issue of Toronto Life uh, two pages in, a two-page spread by Menkes uh, saying, we stand tall. It's a great message, and I think it speaks to that notion of confidence and, and um, trying to forge forward d- despite everything that's, that's around us. It's a great way to end it, and oh, we'll chat so soon, I'm sure. 